0: Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr.
1: Elliot I'm And I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman.
0: And I'm Rabbi Blue.
1: We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between.
0: And what it means to be Jewish and human in today's world.
1: Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. And the way
0: we feel about stuff. And we'll try to be as real as possible.
1: By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it.
0: And maybe we'll even come out being better people for it.
1: Welcome to Living Jewishly Podcasts. You're listening to What's in Your Toolbox, a monthly podcast on mental health. I am your host, Bobby Kay, a comedian, mental health advocate, and executive producer of the documentary No Magic Bullet, an honest discussion on mental health. Hello, everybody. This is Bobby Kay for the third episode of What's in Your Toolbox, our guest this month, calls herself Water Girl. She is a very special person willing to talk about her life experiences, her life challenges. And if we could help one person with this podcast, we have done our job. She calls herself Water Girl because that's her social media handle. And she follows me on social media and always comments on my beautiful sunsets. But I don't know why she calls herself Water Girl because she should call herself Winter Girl because we met at Beaver Valley Ski Club in the winter. And we had immediate connection because she loves the outdoors. She loves snowshoeing. She loves socializing. She loves winter running. And when she viewed No Magic Bullet, she talked to me a little bit about meditation. And I do remember that she actually was heavily involved in meditation. So before we get to talking about meditation, I'd like to introduce you to my guest, Diana. Hey, Bob. How are you? Bob is Great, especially when he's talking to you, and I appreciate so much that you have offered to take your time to do this. My pleasure. So, Diana, you heard my introduction that uh, I think you should be winter girl, because we met, I guess, about 15 years ago when your young family joined the skeet club, Beaver Valley, So, and we had an instant bond. So you want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Sure. Well, I definitely did find an instant connection with you. You're very warm. Actually, I do... Recall the day we met you, my son was in Mogul Mania and he hurt himself. He had a black eye and you were the first person to come up to him. And you were so great with him. So ever since that day, my whole family felt an instant connection with you. But I refused to be called Winter Girl because I actually hate the winter. (laughs) And that was the only way I could get through the winter is to do, you know, join the ski club and, and, and spend time with my family on the slopes.
1: Well, you sure had rosy cheeks and you sure didn't, you sure didn't look like you were hating winter because I know that we had such a good time. What about snowshoeing? How did, how did snowshoeing and winter running in Beaver Valley help you get through the winter?
0: Well, I found Beaver Valley was a great place to raise my kids and for all of us to, you know, spend the winter with all our outdoor activities. I originally started skiing. And then I found that I was always cold. So then I went to snowboarding. So the 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 clothing is warmer, the boots are warmer. And then from then, you know, as my kids were surpassing me in every sport that I took up, I decided to join a group of ladies every Saturday morning and we snowshoed. And it was great. It kept us warm. It was social. We were, you know, getting in shape by climbing the hill. And then from there, I went to winter running.
1: So it actually became a tool, a way of you coping, getting through a season that was not your favorite.
0: Exactly. I guess I shouldn't have used the word hate, but that's kind of how
1: I felt. This is an honest discussion about mental health. (laughs) So you can be as honest as you can be. That's why we're doing these podcasts so people can understand that there's other people out there that have, have issues. Now, one of the things about snowshoeing that I love is that minutes turn into hours. I know that we used to take off and three or four hours later, we'd come back. And That's one of my themes. And when I did my documentary, No Magic Bullet, you immediately responded and said that the thing that had resonated was how I talked about meditation. So I want to ask you a little bit about your your background in meditation and and what it's done for you.
0: Well, you know, I, I think I've been meditating my whole life without even realizing I was meditating. You know, when I, like, I've always been drawn to the water and, and, and I do suffer seasonal affective disorder, which is something we can touch on later, which is why I had to keep, find something to keep me busy in the winter or be outside where there was sun. But when I was a child and I don't know whether it's, you know, something innate or not, or it's, you know, circumstantial, but I always was drawn to the water and I grew up in Waterloo, which is landlocked and I would find whatever body water I could find and sit by it. You know, whether it was Columbia Lake, the man-made lake by the university, or it was the river. My mother grew up in Brockville area, which is on the St. Lawrence River. And I had this little naturally formed bench I found on the rocks that I'd sit for hours and stare at the water. And I didn't realize at the time that that was meditation and also moving meditation, like running or something that's repetitive motion is meditation. So from there, I built on, you know, exploring more into meditation and how this calms me and helps me.
1: Diana, maybe I'm wrong, but did you not, like, become more structured in your meditation? And yes. Didn't you actually, did, did you go to India?
0: Yes. So that's what I was trying to touch on. Like, I had been meditating my whole life without realizing it. But then I, I started exploring deeper into meditation. So I So, you know, I've always been super active. And even when I did yoga, I couldn't do Shavasana. I couldn't sit still and sit within my thoughts. And now I love Shavasana. And that went to, okay, I'm going to try a meditation with a friend, a guided meditation. And I thought, oh my gosh, like 20 minutes went by fast. How did I sit so still? And so then I started exploring more and more. And I realized how that was a great tool for me to sit within my thoughts and not be reactionary. And I did go to India and that was really mind-blowing for me. I went on a bike trip. And so just even the movement of biking was meditative, but then also being in that culture was changed my perspective quite a bit too. I'd like to go back for sure.
1: Well, we got to wait till uh, pandemic's over and they start (laughs) blowing up Europe. But let me ask you, Diana, you have had some life experiences and some life challenges. So You Do you use meditation or have you found that meditation helps you to deal with those things?
0: Absolutely. And I'm actually right now, this is a tough period of my life right now because I realized speaking to my psychologist and I did seek external help because I needed it. But she said, I was really worried, you know, that I was spiraling a bit because, you know, I witnessed circumstances my other friends had gone through. Dealing with similar scenarios. And, and I said, I actually asked her, you know, if I was one step away from rehab. And she said, no, because how you deal with your stresses is you just keep busy and you, you, you do marathons and then you run a paddleboard, you paddleboard all day long, which actually was very meditative for me because it's by the water and, you know, continually in a rhythmic movement, a repetitive movement. But I realized that I, I've i been in fight or flight for so long, I need to sit in my muck. And that's what I'm doing right now. And it's really hard. And I'm using meditation to help me through it. Quiet meditation. It's hard, but, it, but it's helping, definitely.
1: Well, listen, you know, when I interviewed Yossi, Rabbi Yossi, at the beginning, he came up with this term called hobbied. And I mm-hmm. know that you know Yossi through a common friend, which made our world even smaller. Who was that common friend? Michelle Weiss. So there you go. So there's a girl, a winter girl, water girl that was at Beaver Valley, and on one of our walks, we found out that we knew we knew Yossi. So Yossi came up with this call co- this concept word called "hobby," which was something that I've never heard of, and now I have never heard of "sit in my muck." How <laughs> beautiful! <laughs> yeah. So you've been you've been sitting in your muck now. Yeah. If you Listen to my documentary. I talk about how it took seven years for mindfulness to be my friend. So mm-hmm. you, it didn't take you seven years because you've been doing it a long time, right?
0: Well, as I said before, I wasn't, I didn't realize I was doing it. I didn't realize. But then when I look back at really challenging times of my life where I thought, I actually, here's another one you might want to put in your pocket. I was actually so. And I kept thinking, okay, I can't hit any lower. Oh yes, I can. There's another level down the elevator shaft. I can go lower. I can go lower. But I, I had, to, I was doing this charitable event on paddleboard with kids with autism. we were taking them out for the day because of water therapy. And I thought, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I actually need a spatula to scrape me off the the living room floor because I was a mess. And then I got there, and I got on the board which is my haven, like I've used the water to help me through so many things. And the first boy that sat down, he started screaming. And I thought, oh my God, I can't even do this. What, you know, I should just go home. And I cranked my head around to look at his face. And I saw the biggest smile I've ever seen. And he was slapping the water. And I realized he was in, he was euphoric. And I misconstrued his reaction to a negative one. It was a positive one. And that changed me that day. Like that is probably one of the best days of my life
1: going through that. Wow. That's incredible. So mm-hmm. we're always looking for euphoria. We're always looking to relax, to be calm. Now I can go back because I, as we all know or don't know, you know, I have Tourette's, which gives me incredible energy, which is high energy. And then of course I get low energy. So you just touched on perpetual motion and yes. that's what. I do. That's why I ran marathons just like you did. That's why I snowshoed because it it expended energy, which was key. Now, mine was to try to stay ahead of the curve so that I wouldn't think about the negative thoughts. What about you?
0: Right. Exactly the same. And, you know, just even to further that point, I was on a plane coming back from Halifax and it touched down in Montreal and a bunch of producers and directors were getting on for hot dogs. And this guy sat beside me and he said, oh, I'm going to Toronto because I'm going to promote my film. It's on marathon running. And he asked me, well, have you run a marathon? I said, yes. And nobody asked me this question before. He said, why did you run a marathon? And before I even knew what I was responding, I said to get away from my life. I thought, wow, I had no idea. That's why I was doing it until that moment. And it's true, just to keep, just to, you know, take all the negative thoughts out of your head, just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. But so then now, sitting in the mock, you got to deal with it. And that's the only way I feel I can move on, move forward, get stronger, be better, is to sit in the mock and finally let these, you know, the stuff I need to deal with. In well, listen,
1: we're being honest about challenges, mental health challenges. Mm-hmm. They they mm-hmm. come in so many different forms. And the interesting thing about what you're talking about is tools. So the mm-hmm. whole idea here is is that maybe there's going to be somebody listening to this that says, hey, I was sitting on an airplane and somebody said something to me, or I had an aha moment where I was euphoric. So those mm-hmm. are really quite key to what this is all about. And, and I
0: think it's important to recognize, and everybody has their own personal tools or own personal aha moment, or own personal thing that they need to do when they, they, they need to, to, to sit in their mock or to think or whatever or get through something. And sometimes for me, it's walking, but I always find I have to walk by the water and I no longer live in the beaches now, which is very hard for me, especially in the pandemic. I'm in distillery, but I'll walk down to Cherry Beach or I'll walk up the Dawn River pathway just to be by water, but the walking is good too.
1: Well, you know, if you mentioned that you have a psychologist, you know, I've spent some time with a lot of people and there's the traditional coping mes- methods, you mm-hmm. know, journaling, medication, yeah, yeah. and of course, exercise. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're not feeling well, it's like, I don't want to do this. Like you mentioned, you didn't want to do that paddle boarding, but when you did it, so you got to make yourself doing it. But what I'm trying to do is explained to people and I think that you've just done it effectively you know your tool is not a coping mechanism walking you see the benefits of it and you enjoy it
0: yes, and I think sometimes some days and I people may disagree with me, but sometimes my coping mechanism and my best tool is to go to bed at seven o'clock and watch Netflix and public <laughs> because I'm warm and I'm toasty and it doesn't matter I can turn the lights off at seven while everybody else is out for dinner I don't care. But you know, that's not what I want to do every day, but maybe the one day that's what works. So I do it. I don't try to be so hard on myself.
1: Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be kind to yourself. That that's another that's another concept. So, you know, I know that you are a very disciplined person when it comes to your 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 physical fitness. One of the concepts that I have is the three Ps practice, persistence, and patience. Our previous guest Michael Bandler, who I believe you might know his parents. You know, yes. I mean, this, this kid used his practice, persistence, and patience and hit a routine to become the world champion in Special Olympics in powerlifting. So do you think you practice at, and have persistence and patience? I
0: think that I had the first two and not the patience, but I think I have the patience now. And I, and I actually think that's my greatest tool. I had patience with everybody else, but not myself. And I just recently said this to somebody. I've never been a judgmental person because until I walk into somebody else's shoes, how could I possibly judge them? And then I realized I'm an incredibly judgmental person because I'm very judgmental of myself. So now I'm allowing myself the same things that I gave other people, patience, support, love, and no judgment. That's hard to do, but that's
1: patience is a huge one. I know that you've always been very kind and a good listener. So that is key to the tools of what we do. Maybe, I mean, I watched you learn how to snowboard. You had practice. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, it's <That was> brutal. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You 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 wanted to do it, and you did it, and you practice, and you persist it. And I mean, you weren't going to go to the Olympics, but you were pretty good.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Bob. That means a lot coming from you.
1: (laughs) Well, listen, you know what? It's very key. So we now have got a bunch of names for you. Winter Girl, which is not. Water Girl, which (laughs) you've explained. Can you maybe expand a little bit on, you know, if you don't have water, you don't. I know that you used to live right on the beach, but you don't have water now. So what do you do to replace that if you can't walk by the water or stuff? You just skip that day or do you do something else?
0: I do something else. Like, I mean, you know, I really find this interesting and I've noticed this before because I, I mean, most people that have met me in the last 25 years see me as the beach girl. Oh, you should live in California. You need to be on a beach. But what they don't know about me is I also love the city. And I mentioned this to somebody and I said, this is, might sound strange, but. Looking at a cityscape is equally as tranquil for me as looking at the water. I don't know why, but it is. So if I can't be by the water, I'll wind through the city streets. And, and I find that really relaxing. I can, I can go for hours and not even realize it because I don't know. But I do try to get by the water all the time. I do as much as I can. But when I can, I'll, or I'll walk through nature. I love going on hikes through the trees. But I do, for some strange reason, it's a city or the water for me.
1: Well, I think the key thing that you said, Diana, was is that hours turn into minutes, which is key because that means that you're achieving a sense of calm, you know, a sense of why we, we all need to do these kind of tools. Now, I remember that you, I know that you're creative and I remember that you were quite entrepreneurial and you had quite a few little gigs that you tried to get going. You want to talk about yes. some of those? Because I thought yeah. they were so interesting.
0: You mean what? My shop that I was going to do?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, you were just creative. You, you know, you channeled your creativity because we all need to make money. But uh, was that a tool? Did that help you?
0: So I, uh, I'm, and I won't elaborate, but for many reasons, I was shut down. And so right. what I, and so I allowed, and I, and I could touch on support groups stemming from this comment, but I, I wasn't around people that were supportive of my endeavors. So then I. And this is this is a whole other conversation. But when I was in cognitive behavioral therapy, which was amazing for me, my trigger word is I am worthless, which is the worst thing you want to say about yourself. So if somebody gave me negative support, I just assumed that was a bad idea. Maybe I'm not good enough for it. But then now I realize, wow, I'm not going to let anyone do that again. So what I'm also doing now, which is a difficult thing, is I am trimming my social circle and I... I'm trying to distance myself from people that are not supportive and not caring and not happy for for me and bringing back the people or, or bringing, inviting more people in that are supportive and are good for me, elevate me, just like I want to do that to the people around me. So a lot of those ideas I had, some of them didn't, you know, go forth because of negative support. And some of them didn't go forth because, I mean, I did have some health issues. Like I was going to open a store and then I, you know, had an issue where I had to have a surgery and stuff. So like that kind of pushed me back. But I think it would be more that I felt I didn't have the support. And so then I questioned my own abilities, which is what I'm not going to do again.
1: All right. So let's segue into the next issue, which or topic. I have a BAST, which is Bob's amazing support team. And were you at my birthday? No. My 60th birthday where 250 people showed up?
0: I don't think I was.
1: Well, Mm -hmm. I should have invited you because... uh, (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) But that's, Um, you know, that's water under the bridge, water girl. Yes, that's true. I have what I call Bob's amazing support team. And these are all the people that really helped me get through my dark, times, you know, i called call people and it would placate me, but then I had so many people to call. So you have what's called a DAST, Diana's amazing support team. So tell me a little bit about your support team through the challenging times that you had, whether it was the store, whether it was your surgery, whether it was, you know, when you don't feel well. Well, you know, eat.
0: it's interesting. Like, and like, I, I had three major things happen to me around the same time. And it was fascinating to see who showed up for what. So I had a bad bike accident. Everybody showed up for that. I had a surgery, not the one, my kidney. So this is sort of, and then there's another surgery where I had a complication and some people showed up for that. And then when I got divorced, a lot less people showed up for that. And it all happened within a three month period. But I, at first thought, okay, well, some things like this, the bike accident, there's really no emotion involved there. Uh, Surgery, it's a little more of a private affair. Some people might feel uncomfortable. The divorce, that's a whole other story. So I looked at that, but I didn't judge people on you know they showed up or not because i was just wondering about their comfort level but i'm learning now to to set boundaries and i have some incredible people in my life whether it's friends that live in toronto or i met this wonderful woman in costa rica who lives in brighton england and i get on not zoom but we do something through facetime like the audio video thing and i talk to her and my mother and i have become really close my kids are phenomenal I, You know, I, I'm really blessed to have the people in my life, but I'm also in my muck learning to push people away that don't make me feel good. And that's hard, too.
1: Well, it's important to have a support system. And I think that's key for anybody listening to this. You know, you got to have a support system and you got to have the right people that are going to listen. And a lot of people don't understand. I know that you're a great mom and that you got great kids. I know that you were a great companion to your dog. You loved your dog.
0: (laughs) Totally loved him. I so miss him right now.
1: And I know that. So you just came from Costa Rica. So you're growing your support system. So I gave a speech to a bunch of psychotherapists and I asked them how many people their clients had in their support system. They said one or two. And I said, well, I have a couple of hundred. So how many people would you say are in your support system that you can, Mm can can call? One. I
0: I don't know. I would say more than 10. I haven't actually thought about putting a number to it, but I mean, like even in Beaver Valley, and I think we share a few of those people in our support system. There are some phenomenal people I met at Beaver Valley. Unbelievable. And, you know, and I don't necessarily see them all the time, but I know if I had anything, I could count on those people. And that's amazing. So it's not always people in my everyday life there are people, you know, I don't necessarily see, but we'll be friends for life, I think. I don't know. I don't know how many people, but I would say definitely more than 10.
1: Okay. Well, I think it's, I know that you have a very dynamic, may, my, whatever the word is, personality. You draw people to yeah. you and you give. And I know that there's lots of people that are there to to support you. And I I think that's key. And I th- I want everybody else to think about, what people they have in the support system. You just told me you just met a woman from Brighton, England, and you consider her in your support system, and that's and that's key. Mm -hmm. So hopefully the people that are listening to this, something is going off in their brain and saying, you know what, I think I have more tools than I think about it. I'm just listening to this lovely lady, and she's talking about water and supping and aha moments. So I think that that is great. You also talked about being hobbied, and that's something that I think you are too, because you have lots of interests, lots of hobbies, passions that you've turned into tools, and one of them is your supping. So have you got any advice yes. for anybody listening to this, how they you know how they can turn hobbies and passions into tools?
0: I just think firstly, you just have to figure out what you love to do and what makes you feel at peace. Like I was just talking to my daughter because she, I got her a camera for Christmas and she just loves taking photographs. Or there's other friends of mine that like to paint. And again, like what you said, when hours turn into minutes or minutes turn into hours, it's like you kind of get lost in it and you're living in the moments. I think whatever that is, it could be anything. It could be gardening. It could be walking. It could be paddleboarding. Like what I paddleboarding to me is like the the king, (laughs) king of my hobbies. That's the one thing that can turn my world around any time I do it. But I think you just have to figure out what it is that you want to do, not what somebody else wants you to do or what somebody else tells you to do or what you think you should do. What is it? What is the thing? There could be one thing, two things, three things. And then that 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 hobby turns into your tool.
1: Okay, well, I think that, that that's key and, you know, you you have admitted that, you know, that you've taken CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy, which is more of a coping strategy than something that you really look forward to. I hated cognitive behavior therapy. (laughs) (laughs) And you have professionals and you've done a bunch of work, but we have been talking about things that make you feel good. And that's what this is all about. And I know that you're eliminating people in your DAST. Please don't cut me out.
0: Never. You're one of the good ones. (laughs) All right.
1: Well, listen, I really appreciate the time that you've taken, Diana, to get on what's in your toolbox. And I think that this has just been an honest discussion. It's been a wonderful discussion. I knew it would be. And that's why I asked you to be my third guest. So this is Bobby Kay and Diana, water girl, Diana, the water girl, asking, telling you all, thank you very much for listening. And hopefully you can dig deep and find a tool that makes your, and it's, I have to remember, hours turn into minutes.
0: Thank you so much, Bob. Such a pleasure.
1: Okay. So to my listeners, I want you to know that I received a response to our last podcast from actually part of both of our support systems. Her name is Jenny. I'm not going to tell you her last name, but she sent me an email and it said, hi, Bob and Michael. I just listened to your podcast. It's exceptionally done, truly impressed. Thank you for a very motivating listen. And Michael, congrats on your engagement. Such wonderful news. I think saying that someone is a breath of fresh air is one of the nicest possible things to say about a person. Bob, you are a natural interviewer asking all the best questions. Well, I don't know if that's true, but I'm certainly getting practice. So our next month is gonna be called Role Reversal. And it's about a lady that got me into uh, a podcast that she ran, and she's also the author of a book called Different Than the Other Kids. And she will be our next guest. And instead of her interviewing me, I will be interviewing her. This is Bob Koven saying thank you very much for listening to What's in Your Toolbox. Thanks for listening to the Living Jewishly podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.